This is episode 82. Coming up. I was overwhelmed. On the job as a new PIO, and the only PIO for the San Francisco Fire Department at that, he immediately faced a massive safety and communications challenge, Super Bowl 50. Not only Super Bowl 50, but what does my department want? Challenges faced as a new PIO and how he overcame them. And what about getting that opportunity to lead a comms team or even create one? He remembers some good advice he received as a newbie. Make a list of needs and give to the hiring boss. If your department gives you half of what you have on whatever list you provide them, you're not going to be able to do your job. He'll tell you how it played out and why it's all important. Plus, as a lieutenant PIO, he often deals with higher-ranking officials. So how does he respond to egomaniacs who may have a different viewpoint on public information? I don't mean to be rude or disrespectful, but I am speaking for the chief of the department. That's my boss. Are you sure this is the response you want me to go back to her with? It's a rare occurrence, but you have to be ready when the moment arises. That and more with Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter, San Francisco Fire Department Public Information Officer in this edition of All Hazards, right now. All right, joining me now via Zoom, because that's what everybody does nowadays, is Zoom, is Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter, who is the Public Information Officer, Community Affairs and Media Relations Officer with San Francisco Fire Department. And uh, welcome, Jonathan, how you doing? Welcome, thank you very much. I'm doing fine and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm so happy, like everybody else, to leave 2020 behind us. The reason I wanted to have you on, you have a, a very interesting and varied background, but uh, since 2015, 2016-ish, you have been the, I guess, Community Affairs Public Relations Officer for San Francisco Fire. A lot has happened in San Francisco and the Bay Area uh, since you came aboard, but Let's go back. I want to find out how you became a public information officer with your sort of varied background. You didn't start out in fire. You actually started out in law, from what I understand. Actually, I, I started out as an explorer scout at 14 in uh, law enforcement and uh, graduated high school at 17. Realized I couldn't do anything in law enforcement until I was 20 and a half. And um, coming from a, a, a poverty family, um, I wanted to hit my uh, adulthood uh, running. So one of the aspects that I enjoyed um, as an Explorer Scout was the EMS aspect, uh, you know, trauma calls and uh, started doing ride-alongs with uh, the local ambulance company, San Luis Ambulance, and obtained my EMT certificate, uh, which I was able to uh, graduate and receive shortly after my 18th birthday. Mm. Um, at the same time, becoming a paid call firefighter with San Luis Obispo County Fire and a part-time EMT on the local ambulance um, at the age of 18. Um, progressing that forward, I guess I made a good impression and I was asked at the age of 18 to uh, go into a paramedic program in Monterey, uh, which I did, uh, graduated from that. And um, I, I re remember being very fearful in paramedic school of how am I going to do uh, when I go out in the field? And my very first day, as an intern, uh, which was in uh, the city of uh, uh, Stockton, uh, my very first call we were responding to and the, the two um, preceptors, uh, which was a husband and wife team, were talking to me about, you know, well, this is what we're going to do. We'll see how you run a call. 
and it was a trauma call. And I jumped out of the back of that ambulance and just started jumping right into it, assessed everything, had everything running and flowing. And we finished the call and I'm sweating. My shirt's completely soaked. I'm like, oh my God, how did I do? And they started laughing. They go, if you run every call like that, you're going to be fine. You know, <laughs> and uh, hence my career moved forward. Uh, the law enforcement portion, which has always been uh, close to heart, um, came almost 10 years later um, from uh, my service. And, you know, I, I got hired uh, quickly with the city of Sonoma Fire full-time and then uh, shortly thereafter with the city of Hayward Fire Department full-time and worked a spectrum of part-time paramedic jobs. Uh, it, you know, if anybody's been a medic for 30 plus years, you remember the early 90s into the late 90s where every fire department was trying to get on board with uh, paramedicine. And uh, that was leaving a lag with your um, uh, traditional ambulance companies. So it was a dime a dozen. And I was right. fortunate to work in some amazing areas part-time, which really enhanced my overall career knowledge um, and education base to, to put me where I am now. And uh, 10 years later, I, I was basically really frustrated with not being able to do anything before we got to the call. So domestic violence, shootings, stabbings, horrific car accidents, you know, before airbags, before uh, seatbelt laws, before really enhanced drinking and driving laws. Um, and I got my opportunity coincidentally after I decided, um, which I will tell people not to do, a motorcycle. What a great idea. Oh. Yeah. And uh, have that, that little uh, nice fast motorcycle for about a year and a half. And a distracted driver actually uh, uh, made an illegal U-turn directly in front of me at 35 miles an hour. Mm. And the police officer who showed up is talking to me in the back of the ambulance, my, my bone sticking out of my, uh, my shoulder. Oh. And, um, <laughs> He goes, why do you, are you a firefighter? You have an endorsement on your license. And I go, I'm a paramedic. And he goes, you're a paramedic. So he starts pro professionally taunting me um, as you should have known better. Should have known better. Well, it's like whenever I see uh, doctors or surgeons standing outside the hospital smoking cigarettes. Yes, you should. They should know better. Come on, people. So he, he actually just said, you know, we are hiring reserve police officers and you're going to be laid out for the next six months, if not longer. You got lots of time. I'm going to make sure our captain calls you up and, and puts you in contact and you can start taking these classes while you're recovering. And as I'm sitting here on like five milligrams of morphine already and my bone sticking out, I'm like, my God, that's a great idea. Sign me up. Awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And that was with the, you know, the city of Pleasanton and I got hired on as a, reserve police officer with them. Um, after I, I got put back to work, I was able to do that collaterally. Uh, you know, the fire service, basically nine, 10, 10, 24 hour shifts a month. So that left 20 days a month to, to go out and educate myself and contribute to the community where I was living at. Yeah. And I loved it. I love being able to prevent um, items from, from occurring. Yeah. Um, and ended up going to an extended, putting myself through an extended full-time academy um, and uh, shockingly to, to, to me passing um, number two in that class 
which in law enforcement, which is completely different than the fire service, um, you, you get headhunters left and right. I mean, phone calls from people that you're like, how did you get my number? And we want to hire you. Will you come talk to us? And uh, one of those was the city of Menlo Park. And they figured, oh, yeah, I'll go do a ride along down there and see if this is a good fit for me to, to, to work in my part-time job. E even though I loved working in Pleasanton, there was just more opportunities at this department that fit, uh, you know, what I wanted to do. So how did that become what you're doing now? So fast forward to 2015, we're starting to get into the uh, San Francisco uh, Super Bowl 50. Uh, call volumes are rising. We're just coming out of, uh, you know, the economic downfall or recession, whatever term you want to use from 2008. Uh, we're starting to get more academy classes, needs for recruitment officers. The public is um, becoming more active on social media and following social media um, and the need arise for a public information officer unbeknownst to me at the time, because I had taken the FEMA classes on my own um, about a year, maybe a year and a half prior to this, uh, just to expand my knowledge base. You know, it's, you know, we need to always learn and you, you see a class come up and if you have the time to take it, take the class. You never know where it's going to lead. So I was asked to come into my chief's office and, uh, you know, I was currently at, or I was at the time at engine one, which was the busiest engine in America. Um, and right in the downtown area, we're definitely open <laughs> to getting in positions where we're going to get called to the chief's office. So uh, I remember my crew and myself going through the logs books, trying to figure out why, what call did we, why are you being called to the principal's office? Up on, right? <laughs> And we go into the chief's office and uh, Chief Joanne Hayes-White, our uh, finance officer, and uh, Minnie Talmadge, who uh, a, an amazing mentor. She recently retired, um, but what, what an asset to, to that department, San Francisco Fire and to the fire service. And she was at the collateral duty of PIO, recruitment officer, administrative assistant, records uh, manager. I was just looking at her in awe going, how do you do all this? And when I was told that they wanted me to be the PIO. Number one, I was honored, but I was also set back. So do I want to do this? What is yeah. the job? What's the description? What are the requirements? So I asked them for um, a day. You know, this this is a an honor. I'm very, very honored to be asked to take this position, but can I have a day to, to review it and, and see if it's going to fit with what, what I want to do? And, and if I can do it for the department, do yeah. it the right person for this. And in, in that 10, 12 hour period, I called a number of PIOs, um, you know, LA, LA city uh, were super helpful. New York city, extremely helpful. Fresno, a couple of other uh, places I called up and uh, their PIOs answered the phone. So I, I hook, line, and sinker. So I'm glad you answered the phone. Now sit down because I'm going to ask you a ton of questions. And overwhelmingly, uh, actually, the PIO from, from a Sacramento Fire uh, set it up very well. And he said, if your department gives you half of what you have on whatever list you provide them, you're not going to be able to do your job. Hmm. If they give you more than half of what you have on the list for you personally to do your job, then take the job. You'll be able to manage your job. 
And I went back the next day and I had a, a very substantial list of requests and, and requirements to do the job, which included social media, which at the time our department did not have. Um, and Chief Joanne Hayes-White overwhelmingly said yes to uh, a little over 90% of what I had uh, given to them. So well, I, was, I was, number one, I was awed because I had some pretty, you know, big asks on that page. Yeah. Um, but I was also, um, you know, enjoy. I was like, wow, this, I, I've got the ability now to form a proactive um, program for our department and more importantly for our community. For sure. Now, this was something that, um, uh, again, this is 2015, and the city, and I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear this, and I certainly was, that San Francisco Fire, uh, one of the largest in the, in the country, um, did not have a social media policy. They didn't have a really, they didn't really do much with social media as late as 2015. That wasn't that long ago, and social media was in full swing. People were using it. Agencies were using it, and uh, they they agreed. They obviously wanted you, but in addition to that, they said yes to almost everything on your list. Yeah, it was a unique time. I think uh, you know, as our nation and society in general was just moving into a new era. You know, social media, media transparency. You know, the ability with Periscope for people to start recording, or, or even cell phones, just recording uh, an event. And that really led to, and I'm not saying just San Francisco, I'm just, you know, open up your, your browser and, and just check the daily videos and, and social media sites, lots of false speculation. And I don't want to say negative because a individual's opinion based off of what they're seeing in their, their education, that's belief, that's truth. But is it the correct truth? And how do we deliver the right information to the right people at the right time, but also give them the ability to form their own opinion, transparency at its best for a number of, of incidents that are across the board. So what I found out early on, uh, again, going to some more advanced uh, FEMA classes and state classes for PIO uh, was a real eye opener to see professionals from other agencies seeing the same issue that we're seeing but also seeing the same dynamics that I was seeing throughout um, the nation and, and our, our community with wanting to see more, wanting to know more. And right. that really led to um, our social media policy, which we, we now have in place, but also our ability to have social media for our department. And trust me, and, and I know uh, some of my coworkers from Station One will be laughing as they watch this, as they did with, with some other podcasts, I am not a technical person, nor or I was not a technical person before this this position. Did not have any social media. You know, I was lucky to 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 use my iPhone at the time. So how did you learn? So learning on on the run, but also reaching out to people. Yeah. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have Twitter right in our back door. So multiple meetings with them, and God bless their staff for helping us, getting us a verified account showing me in person how to utilize things and how to enhance items. Uh, same thing with Instagram and Periscope, YouTube, all right here in our, in our backyards. And it was um, instrumental making connections with them, relationships, so that you had a face to put to a name on a piece of paper. Uh, I, I'm a, a huge advocate of the in-person meet, you know, mm -hmm. pre-COVID and 
after COVID, but right now a little bit difficult. Yeah. But having those, those relationships where you can go meet a person, have a cup of coffee, ask the difficult questions, um, you know, how do we enhance it? I mean, one of the biggest ones was with Twitter and Instagram. Oh, you can, you can pay $100 and you'll automatically get 10,000 viewers. We'll just magically make it happen. It's like, those aren't the viewers I want. I want viewers who want the information to get that right information at the right time. That's right. So you came in with uh, this long list of things that you needed to run a successful PIO shop. What were some of the most important things that you had on there? Obviously, social media. Uh, you mentioned transparency, but what are some of the other things that you wanted and felt that you needed to have a successful shop? Economy was a big one. Um, being, wow. being able to, 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 number one, who's my boss, the chief of the department. Um, I need to be able to go out and make, make decisions on the fly to make sure that we're covered and that we're representing ourselves for not only an incident, but also with other issues, political issues, community engagement, um, all these items. So uh, you, you take our safety fairs, for example, that, that we, we put together. And the safety fairs were based off of me going out and meeting with CBOs, uh, community-based organizations, as well as you know, going to the, the police department had uh, captain's meetings every month, going to those and, and li listening to what the public had as concerns for a specific area and every area was different. And right off the bat, I found out the public needs education and prevention material. Yes, we have it on our website. Yes, we have you know fire prevention week in October. And if somebody calls up and wants a presentation, you're gonna get the firefighter of the day or the prevention officer of the day to go give that presentation. And the consistency of that information is gonna be different every time it's delivered. It might be the same on paper, but the person delivering it's gonna inject their own, their own um, experience into that. And that leads to different formats going to different people at different times. So how do we address that and, and how do we get to that? Now, talking to other members on this from other agencies, they would have to ask their supervisor for permission to go to the meeting that would have to go to their chief executive officer. They'd have to review it when they got to it on top of probably hundreds, if not thousands of emails or other items that are on there. And by the time the meeting comes around, they haven't gotten an answer, so they don't go to the meeting. Mm -hmm. And then there lies the issue. So having that autonomy to make the decisions, to go out and just to start the program and start the conversation was crucial. Without it, this, what we have today would not be here today. Um, so going out and making those, those connections and those meetings and having the ability to authorize doing items such as having a safety fair in presenting the safety fairs. And when, for those who don't know our safety fairs, we started about a month into 2016, just right after uh, Super Bowl 50. And our first safety fair was in uh, our Chinatown district station number two. And I had already had well over a dozen community-based organization meetings with, with our uh, communities throughout, throughout the entire city of San Francisco. And I knew what they wanted. They wanted to know how to do CPR. They wanted to know how to control bleeding. They wanted to know how to act during a disaster. What can they do to make their house safe? How do you use a fire alarm system? How do you use your, your smoke alarm? Your carbon monoxide detector, is it necessary? If it is, where do I put it? I mean, I'm sitting here and I, I felt like a, a punching bag. I was like, wow, you know, the, and, and I'm not the 
going to say, I knew all the answers. I had to research a lot of this mm-hmm. and make, make relationships. You know, we have, um, you know, Kitta Corporation, um, you know, um, Sharon Cooksey, who's their public uh, safety uh, representative. And I contacted her just out of looking on the internet. And, and I researched other organizations as well, uh, other products uh, and companies. Uh, she's the one, she answered her phone. And I said, hey, this is what I, I, I plan on doing these safety fairs. I want to expand our knowledge. She says, we will be partners with you. What do you need? And I said, well, I think it would be great if I could hand out some smoke alarms and carbon monoxide. She goes, how many do you need? And I'm just, the wheels turning in my brain going, oh my gosh, how many, how many should I ask for? I said, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to ask for 100. And she goes, we'll give you 200. Oh, like, hey. oh man, I should have asked for 500. <laughs> um, so my first safety fair, I had really good knowledge base on smoke alarms and how to put them out, but I also had free ones. So if you can't afford a smoke alarm, we'll give you one. Hmm. Um, and that led to, are we allowed to install them? And again, it's a, it's a whole, this is all happening back to back. It's like, okay, here's a great thing. Oh yeah. Well, now if I give them one, what if they can't put it in? Right. So no, in our department, our uniform personnel on duty cannot go do it due to liability. However, we can hand it to them and we can give them one. So I found out we have organizations such as Red Cross and Rebuilding San Francisco, which is an organization in many communities. It just starts off with rebuilding and then your city. Um, And these these, these, uh, CBOs or these nonprofits were absolutely partnered with us. We'll, we'll, We'll have your members off duty or your volunteers come in and help us. And we started that program as well. So this first safety fair, I'm expecting... 10, 15 people in a four, in a, uh, we did it for two hours, the first one. And we now do them for four hours. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be cool, but it's also going to be a social experiment. How, how well is it going to be? So we printed out thousands of uh, pieces of uh, uh, propaganda, if you will, safety material, different languages, Chinatown being predominantly Chinese. We had a lot of information in Chinese which led to, well, what if somebody comes and doesn't know how to speak English or vice versa? We don't know how to speak Chinese. Um, how do we relate to them? So I, I asked the chief, can I please get some Chinese speaking firefighters and paramedics on overtime? And it, it was a, a, a instantaneously, what's it for? And I explained it. Oh my God, that's a great idea. Yes, you can have it. So now I'm under the pressure too. What if I don't use it? What if it's not needed? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm utilizing personnel on overtime. We had over 500 people show up to our first safety fair. Wow. And we handed out 200 smoke alarms, <laughs> all, all 200 of them. Sold uh, out. To, to individuals and, and every person, not every person, a majority of the people that went there from, from children to an individual in their 80s. And I remember this because I had a picture of a three-year-old doing hands-only CPR and an 80-year-old doing hands-only CPR next to each other. No relationship to each other. Mm. How awesome is that? That's super awesome. When All Hazards continues, as a PIO, Lieutenant Baxter often deals with higher-ranking officials. So how does he handle egomaniacs who don't agree with his mission order? 
I don't mean to be rude or disrespectful, but I am speaking for the chief of the department. That's my boss. Are you sure this is the response you want me to go back to her with? And one piece of advice to new PIOs. Take every opportunity that you can in the public to expand your ability to communicate. He has more where that came from, and he'll give you examples of what worked for him. Back to our conversation with John Baxter. So the programs that yet you developed uh, were obviously really important then to becoming a successful shop. In addition to that, though, as a new PIO, you have to deal with chiefs. You're a lieutenant, but now you've got to deal with chiefs, people who are higher in rank than you. So how do you manage that? How did you as a new PIO cope with that? Well, I started my career at 14 years old as an explorer. And, uh, you know, I, I have a magnet for um, being drawn to very critical incidences. Um, just for whatever cosmic reason is out there. So I had the experience of dealing with people from a very young age uh, with a knowledge base, especially being a paramedic at, at, at the age of 18, almost 19 years old. Um, and dealing with adults uh, who are in their 30s or 40s listening to a kid for all, for all intents and purposes, giving yeah. the orders and running an incident. So I knew right off the bat um, before I took the position that there's going to be individuals in uniform who put self-interest over the duty to act or their, duty, their responsibilities and their duties. And it's human nature. I'm, I'm not going to knock anybody for, for doing it. But in my own opinion, there's no place for that in public safety or public service. You take an oath to serve and protect, and that's what you do. Right. And I knew that as a, at the time when I started, I was a paramedic firefighter, and I was offered to be bumped up to a lieutenant, and I did not want to do that because I didn't want people uh, in, in public service to sit there and go, oh, he only took it because he got bumped up to a lieutenant. And I was currently on the civil service list to be a lieutenant, and I was eventually a year later promoted off that list up to the rank of a lieutenant. So I knew that was going to be an issue. So I needed the buy-in from my chief to be able to tell anybody who has conflict or issues, if it arises to that position, you do realize I'm speaking for the chief of the department. That's my boss, you know, so please do that. And, you know, personalities and, and just being reasonable and being professional and respectful to anybody who is a rank above you pays off because in the almost six years I've been in this position, there's only been two positions or two times that I can recall that I really was struggling and had to mention to the person, you know, I don't mean to be rude or disrespectful, but I am speaking for the chief of the department. That's my boss. This, this is her wishes and her desires. Are you sure this is the response you want me to go back to her with? Mm. So only two times in six years with the department with over 1,700 employees, 300,000 plus individual responses or 150 plus incidences a year, and an average of 20,000 public contacts from me and, and community relations per month to the community, and only two times that I had to bring that up to an individual, your personality matters and how you can utilize interpersonal skills really matters. So anybody who's looking to get into the profession and specifically PIO position, interpersonality skills is essential and practice it and you practice it by going out. And I want to roll that into public safety. One of the things we saw early on 
with our recruits coming in because we started doing recruitment officer. We actually got a recruitment officer shortly after my position was established was we would hire these individuals, whether it was an EMT, a paramedic or a firefighter full time. And they would just smoke the Academy. Mm. Like, oh, this is our A star employee. This person's great. And then you see them in action on an actual call and they don't know how to talk to the 80 year old. They don't know how to talk to the English as a second language person. They don't know how to talk to the child. And we're like, how do we fix this? And that led to us reaching out to our city college fire science and, and paramedic programs and saying, hey, is there a way that we can get your students to volunteer at our safety fairs where they're covered under your liability, mm. um, but they can come and get some sort of credit and work. And I mean, it was like, oh my God, we've been waiting for this opportunity. So again, I was like, oh yes, the door's open. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. So we started, we started to bring these kids into our safety fairs, young adults, I'm sorry, into our safety fairs. And we would see exactly what I was talking about. They, they, there was this shy factor or this, this mm -hmm. unknown ability to go talk to people. And it's like being a parent. You'd see them on the first safety fair event or the first uh, community event. You know, like, okay, we got work to do. And we would hey, ha have some confidence. Hey, we're going to show you how to talk to the people. That led to those students teaching other students who were coming in to talk to people. And we've had an actual uh, individual who got hired by a department, not ours, unfortunately. And that individual reached out to me and says, you know what, if I did not have that knowledge base, I don't think I would have gotten hired here. See, that's, that's critical. Communication is so important. And I think uh, there are some agencies that uh, minimize, unfortunately, the important role that the PIO plays. And, you know, you're talking about people who don't know how to talk to other people. And I have to say, and I, I'm hoping that things will change, but what I've noticed, and I think others have too, is that these young kids who are, you know, just getting into college and grew up with a, a cell phone in their hand, and they're so used to texting, that I think the art of conversation has kind of diminished because they're so used to texting. People, you know, boys and girls are breaking up with their boys and girlfriends, you know, just through a text. Whereas in the old days, you had to either call them, talk to them, or see them face to face. That took skill and understanding that I think a lot of kids nowadays don't get the opportunity to practice. I agree with you 100%. And we pride ourselves on being able to afford our city youth with the opportunity to engage with not only adult professional firefighters and police officers and sheriff deputies and emergency service workers and dispatchers, but also the community where, where, where they live. And um, that also expands to our high school where we're looking at how do, how do we bring back the knowledge base of San Francisco into our workforce and the diversity and I always plug this in because I'm proud of it. We are one of the most, if not the most diversified public safety entity in the world um, with making sure that our, our numbers reflect the diverse community that we serve. And it pays off in people yeah. with that. So one of the, the items that, that I was able to establish with the help of um, some individuals in our department was establishing a fire and EMS program in high in our high school, which is currently at, at Mission High School, where the students um, come into uh, the program, they get to learn about being a firefighter, an EMT, a paramedic, 
And by the time they graduate uh, as a senior from Mission High, they have their first year of the fire science curriculum completed for City College of San Francisco. So it's, an, it's a huge advantage, but they also have the opportunity to help us with these community fairs and going out. We have them canvas neighborhoods is one of the things we talk when we're, when we're doing safety fairs, or if I know I'm having a rise in carbon monoxide incidences in a specific district or smoke alarm deficiencies in a specific district, we give these kids the flyers or door hangers and they walk out and they interact with people. And uh, I've had some kids come back and go, well, I had this conversation with my neighbor I've never met. Uh, and, and now I'm going to go, you know, oh, help, help this elderly neighbor do something. That's, that's the next line of public servants we want. Someone who's going to be a public servant, a neighbor, a community member. For sure. So as a new PIO, uh, you obviously had some pretty significant challenges. And you've mentioned one of them several times already, and that's Super Bowl 50. You're just now coming in as a PIO to basically a program that doesn't really exist fully. Tell me about what it was like and some of the challenges that you faced with such an enormous and high profile event that had such great homeland security issues connected to it. I was overwhelmed um, right at first, just not only Super Bowl 50, but what does my department want? What does my department need? What does my community want? And what does my community need? And uh, we already keyed in a, a bunch of stuff, you know, social media, uh, messaging going out, uh, pre-established relationships with, with other agencies, including CBOs. And going into Super Bowl 50, um, you had to have a positive outgoing uh, attitude. I mean, I was, I was waking up at four in the morning to, to get coffee and, and do walkthroughs with people I did not know. And, and it was my first time meeting them. How do I present myself to them? How do I act and interact with them? And it's just like, just be yourself. You know, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm meeting you face-to-face -face contact. And then basically, I don't want to say using them, but using it as an opportunity to find out what they do and what their agency expects and what they do to relate to the communities and populations that they serve. So I was able to kind of compile what we need at the time to make sure that our department and our members are safe responding to incidences, which enhances the safety of our community. And a lot of that revolved around homeland security issues. You know, how, what do you do if you respond to a bombing incident? What do, you, what do you do if we had a mass shooting incident? How do we make sure that we're safe? But more importantly, how do we reach out to the public to make sure that they're safe during this incident? And that requires pre-established relationships. And one of the things that I, that I did right off the bat was meet with my uh, police department counterparts who I'm extremely jealous because they have like nine PIOs and we have one Me meeting with it, but awesome people, you know, Mike Andercheck, the Sergeant who's in charge of it, uh, their current PIOs, officer Lavinger and, and Rueka, just absolutely great people doing great work for our communities. And then bringing that into an incident. Now, one of my first incidents of big incidences was a huge fifth alarm fire in the mission district. And um, I had some smaller incidences before that where I was interacting with the media and talking to the media. But this was huge. We had fatalities. We had displaced. We had people trapped. We had rescues going on. We had smoke billowing into neighborhoods, uh, resulting in shelter in places and evacuations. And I arrived on scene. I'm like, oh, my God. 
I can't do this by myself. I need some help. Mm -hmm. So I call our emergency management office and, um, you know, I got uh, Francis Zamora, who's, who's now the, uh, you know, promoted up within the ranks there, um, arrived on scene uh, really quickly uh, to provide me with some help. I called uh, Mike Andertech, Sergeant Andertech from the police department. He uh, responded out with a couple of his PIOs. And um, unbeknownst to me, the brand new uh, mayor's PIO, uh, which at the time was Deidre Hussey, showed up. And I'm sitting here as a young, very new PIO, used to being in the backseat of a fire engine or the front seat of a fire engine, now looking at the mayor's PIO. So you can imagine that's like me looking at, you know, the governor. I'm like, oh my gosh, here's the boss. And uh, I, I remember asking her when she got there, what do you need? What do you want? And she goes, this is your show. You tell me what you want me to do. And she goes, you've already done good on other things. I've been watching you. What do you need from me? And that was a huge relief to hear that, that the confidence, you know, and the right. trust was huge. And that would not have happened if we had not met with other organizations prior to this incident moving forward. And we built on that incident, bringing in uh, outside PIOs to major incidences to assist you with doing our job, which is again, getting the right information to the right people at the right time, ensuring the best safety measures for not only our first responders, but for the community that we're there for. The importance then of exchanging those business cards before you get on the battlefield is, is critical is what you're saying here. Absolutely, and, and you take every opportunity from whatever level you are in public safety, take that opportunity to meet people at a given event, training events, and expand your knowledge. I mean, we, we look at, um, you know, Department of Homeland Security, the FBI's office, they call us in now to be guest speakers while they're giving safety presentations to large groups, schools, uh, et cetera, on topics ranging from active shooters to active terror to disaster preparedness. And we now do the same. We bring them in. And what does that do? It expands the opportunity to allow people to make an opinion based off of a number of outlets during a presentation. And anybody can listen to me talk. And they can walk out and you're getting, you know, and I've been there. I heard this person talk. I don't believe it. You know, I wish I had some more, some more ways to vet it. Now you do because we've worked and we're collaborating to bring the same material with different outlooks, law enforcement, EMS response, fire response, federal response. And it's like, wow, it's a bigger picture. And I've heard from all of them today. I have a really good rounded opinion on how I can move forward to be better protected and feel like I'm protected from my public service. Well, that sounds like a couple of uh, points now that you mentioned that um, really do show that you've had some success coming into this role now, been uh, almost six years now, I guess. What do you see as maybe some examples that show that you're having success? First and foremost, the prearranged um, uh, connections and relationships with individuals really, really is a good gauge to see where we're moving. And, and I mentioned earlier, having pre-established relationships and then using the fifth alarm fire as an example. But what about outside of San Francisco? What if we had a major you know, terror attack or a major disaster and all the bridges went down? How do we coordinate stuff? And a PIO from Walnut Creek, Betsy Burkhart, worked with um, the UASI organization to establish the Bay Area Joint Information System where 
before our pandemic, you know, kind of fast forward in 2020, um, we had a little over 100 uh, PIOs from around the Bay Area, but we talked and we shared information. And when we had this pandemic, that system was already in place and we were able to expand on it. And we got some uh, other great players such as Patty Eaton from Santa Clara OES um, to help really coordinate and make sure that all these counties, but more importantly, these small cities were getting the right information uh, using, um, you know, the PIO for Mental Park Police Department. Well, where's that? Well, it's the hub of Facebook. Uh, but small community, 30,000 people, and their, their PIO for their police department, that was their PIO for their, um, their DOC, for their city, was on these calls. And it's like, well, my God, what do I do? How do I get this information out? And it's like, well, we have the information. Put your logo on it, rebrand the name, make it specific to your community, and you can start getting that out. That expands because people who live in that community may be coming to San Francisco. They may work in San Francisco and vice versa. They may work in that city. So how do we get that right information to the right people at the right time to make sure that we're all on the same page? Uh, another example with that would be sitting in on county calls here in San Francisco and we're going to do this and you hit the little hand signal on Zoom because we're not doing anything in person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, excuse me, you do realize that County X is doing something different than County Y which means we're going to be doing different than two counties. We should be doing the same thing. And that led to, to our emergency management director allowing me to become a regional PIO for the first six months of the pandemic, um, which was an eye-opening experience on bringing in well-vetted PIOs from a number of agencies, hundreds of PIOs on these phone calls at, at given times, to really make sure that we're all doing something coordinated uh, and systematic and really enhanced the ability to make people safer. But more importantly, they can feel safer because they're getting the same information from the same people and they don't have to sit there and speculate, well, this county's saying this and this county's right. saying that. Where, what do I do? Who do I believe? On the way, tips for new PIOs. Take every opportunity that you can in the public to expand your ability to communicate. And that's just the beginning. Let's wrap our chat with John Baxter. Give me an example of how this pandemic has negatively impacted the way you normally would do business, besides having to do everything by phone and by Zoom. Looking back at it, what has been negatively impacted, and it's maybe something that's driving you crazy, which is also making you look forward to 2021. <laughs> well, the, the first, the biggest thing is being able to go out and reach the public. I mean, we, we, we've enhanced our ability to go out to the public to a point where we have uh, mobile public relation kits, which are large, big, large Pelican cases with a TV screen and a projector and a printer. So we don't have to waste paper. And I would be able to, on a given day, see, we have people who are called light duty. So they're, they're injured. So they are not going to go fight a fire or pick up a patient, but they can help do, things like talking and giving outreach. So we'd say, hey, we had a fire in District X, so I need you to go there and, and provide safety material on smoke alarms and exit planning. Um, and they would go out and they'd do that. My safety fairs that we have, you know, pushing those out, going out to community-based organizations, to the hotel council, talking to the hotels, uh, to BOMA, speaking to the business owners, uh, you know, monthly, if not weekly, to get safety material out to these individuals. And at the beginning phases of the pandemic, we were overwhelmed. 
everybody was overwhelmed with working on pandemic specific materials, but we're still having emergencies. Emergencies didn't go up oh, and there's a pandemic. So we're not going to have a fire or a heart attack or a car accident. Um, we'll put that on hold. That's not going to happen. So we have to still address those issues. So we started doing virtual safety events with, um, with entities, uh, you know, schools, uh, CBOs and stuff, but it's still not the same. So I'm really looking forward to being able to go out and um, physically touch the community with, with presence and interact with them and continue to provide life-saving measures and skills such as exit plan drills and how to use uh, uh, life safety measures in your home or business, uh, CPR, hands-only CPR, yeah. stop the bleed material, all this stuff. Um, so, that, so that's it. And then one of the other things is, is when I'm talking about reaching people and getting safety material out to them and, and notifying them of events that are happening and transparency, having different views and opinions. Uh, one of the items that came up through the pandemic is a newer social media tool, which is Citizens App. And if you haven't seen Citizens App, I encourage you to look at it. I'm not endorsing it or selling it. It's another tool in the toolbox. But you have individuals who can sign into Citizens App and they can take a picture or a photo, which you can use before your first units even arrive on scene to give them situational awareness and intel of what's going on. But also as the vetted agency and Citizens App will let the public know that you are a vetted government agency giving out this message, you can put out the right information. So one of the things that I saw in Citizens App right off the bat was a lot of agencies going, oh my God, this, this application, people are going to be putting out nonsense and it's going to be horrible. I'm like, come on guys and girls, it's not horrible. It's a tool and we can use this tool. It's transparency. And you do see those, those issues and those topics. Uh, I, I used an example where we had a car fire and somebody on Citizens App, it was a bomb. I heard a large explosion. It must be a terror attack. And I was able to go on there and say, well, that was the tire exploding because of the fire. And it was actually caused by a mechanical problem mm -hmm. in, in the vehicle. And that was my eye-opener experience with that. It's like, you know, I can really use this tool to help allow people to form their own opinion on top of our professional and vetted um, message that's going out. Yeah, for sure. And, and we've gotten a lot of messages as we use um, that tool for our agency from people saying, hey, this was great because I was able to see different views and opinions. Now, one, one thing that does occur with social media in general is you're going to get people who are upset because you're using one tool over another. So we use Twitter as our predominant messaging system for putting out uh, messages during an incident. This application, like others such as YouTube and Periscope and the list goes on, you can mirror it to your Twitter account. So this, mm. the thing that I found very important is the same message that I'm going to tweet out, such as first alarm fire, one, two, three, Main Street, avoid the area. I'm putting that same message when I transfer that citizens app message onto Twitter. So they're still getting the same message if they don't want to go to that application, but now they have another level or another option to go to if they want to. Yeah. So that's very, it's very, the, the messaging is key, but also making sure that your message is consistent and non-wavered throughout different platforms is also important. So final question, actually I have two more questions for you. First one, what uh, recommendations or advice would you give someone who is now coming into the position of PIO, who 
who's never done it before, but has experience in the field of whether it's law enforcement or fire, what have you, uh, emergency management, what one piece of advice would you give them as a new PIO? Learn and interject yourself into as many avenues that you can now, not later. When you take on the position, any position in, in public service and public safety, you have a, an expectation from the community you serve to be able to act immediately for a given, a given number of circumstances. And that time is not the time to learn how to do your job. It is the time to take things away from that incident to help build your knowledge base, but you need to have the basics. So there's a number of free courses, both at the state level and the FEMA level for specifically public information that you can do online. I encourage you to look at those and uh, take those classes uh, and take every opportunity that you can in the public to expand your ability to communicate expand your ability to, to learn. And a great example is we have a, a number of stations that do this, but specifically, uh, and most recently, one station uh, that found out that they had an elderly uh, person that was having a birthday and um, you know may not be here next year for, for that birthday, loves the fire service and really wanted to sit in the fire engine. And although because of COVID, we couldn't have that person sit in the fire engine, they took it upon themselves to ask, hey, can we do a drive-by for this person and wave to them and give them a presence as we, we just set it down on the street and, and drive away. And we said, yes, the community that was in that neighborhood was overwhelmed by the, the, the compassion and the ability to understand what everybody is going through with COVID-19 and shelter in place um, that we all want. The fire department won because we did a great thing. The community won because they feel comforted and that they know that their public servants are there for them. And this individual had a moment of joy and excitement on, uh, on a birthday, which may be one of the last birthdays this person has. Mm -hmm. So it's little things like that is knowing your community, knowing where you are and reaching out and just doing something that is just good and the right thing to do. Perfect. And I want to know more about you as part of my community. And this is my final question. Uh, I assume you have music on your phone. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So my final question is, what music on your phone have you listened to the most over the past week? So ironically, I've gone to soul music. Soul? Okay. On, on, on Pandora. So Pandora is my best friend. Uh, <laughs> and the week before, I was stuck on the ACDC channel on Pandora. All right. And um, morning jacket radio for waking up at four o'clock in the morning and just starting to hit the hundreds of emails that a PIO gets uh, every day um, is my go-to uh, in the morning. All right. I like that. So uh, we've learned a little bit about you, not only from ACDC all the way up to Seoul. Not quite to Z, ZZ Top, <laughs> but we've gone almost the entire alphabet. There. It's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all right. <laughs> Listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a real busy guy. Um, even during this pandemic, we're all crazy busy. Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter, who is the PIO uh, or Community Affairs and Media Relations Officer for the San Francisco Fire Department. Jonathan, thank you so much. Have a great 2021. You too. Thank you for having me and have a safe day. My thanks to Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter for chatting with me. Remember folks, he is San Francisco Fire's solo PIO. He doesn't have a lot of time to chat, so I don't take that for granted. I appreciate the time.
Hey, if you like listening to All Hazards, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. Remember to wear those masks, folks, when walking around in public and when you can't socially distance. Together, we can stop the coronavirus in its tracks and get back to living life on our terms. How nice would that be, huh? For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.